I'd like to welcome Dr. Pinelle Joseph, who is the Barbara Jordan Chair in Political Values and Ethics at the LBJ School of Public Affairs and founding director of the study for the of race and democracy at the University of Texas in Austin, his latest book, The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., was published by Basic uh, Books just last year. Very, very new. You all have to uh, just check it out. Pinel, Dr. Pinel Joseph, welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Joseph, I wondered, I mean, just, I, 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 you likely heard uh, that piece on the Barbados, um, uh, you know, becoming um, a new republic. And uh, the, she talked, this young woman talked about the long walk uh, to freedom for b black people, for Bajans uh, like myself. And of course, a lot of your work has been on the long walk to freedom uh, for black people right here in the United States. I wonder if you just wanted to give a quick comment on the significance of what Barbados has done and really tie that um, here to the struggle that black people are making right here in the United States. Uh, Dr. Pinel Joseph. Oh, yeah. No, I believe it's really significant. I, you know, I'm, I'm the proud son of Haitian immigrants, so the Caribbean plays such a huge, huge role in black liberation struggles, black American, but also just pan-African uh, liberation struggles. And we see that, um, you know, we've got, you know, prison abolition activists like uh, Marianne Kaba, whose uh, parents are from, from, from Guinea, and who talks about Kwame Touré, uh, formerly Stokely Carmichael. So there's this whole diasporic um, framework for for liberation and black people from the Caribbean, including Barbados, the, the, our first biggest waves came in the early 20th century. And when we think about, uh, we usually talk about Marcus Garvey, but there's so many black um, women and and men from from other parts of the Caribbean who really transform um, the the Great Migration and the diasporas that are happening globally. So usually when we talk about the Great Migration and Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns, we don't talk about the, the, the concurrent migrations that are happening globally, especially from the Caribbean, right? And so in a lot of ways, when we think about by the early 20th century and things like the Harlem Renaissance, the Chicago Renaissance, the Pittsburgh Renaissance, what's happening in Los Angeles um, in the 1930s and 40s, Caribbean folks are a huge, huge part of that, uh, including folks from Barbados, Haiti, Jamaica. And it's really remarkable that after 300 years, the people of Barbados have decided to, you know, divest from the, 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 the monarchy in that way. And I think it's, it's great. And I think you, you heard not only Rihanna, but the prime minister, um, you know, talking about a kind of Caribbean nationalism that historically has been very, very um, progressive in terms of its anti-colonial bent, and that has really informed and infused the anti-colonialism that's happening right here in the United States and black liberation struggles. So I think it's really, it's really great. And um, in a lot of ways, we've come back to some of these um, pan-Africanist impulses because of the movement for Black Lives Matter and because of... Um, the, the kind of transnational diasporic uh, indigenous movements for human rights that we're seeing sort of flower and flourish all over the world. Right. And, and, and somebody like Malcolm X, uh, 
um, also had Caribbean roots. I mean, his mother uh, was from Grenada. You have uh, Caribbean roots. I mean, you know, Marcus Garvey, I mean, the, the, the list is, is long um, because there is that, you know, we were dropped off at different places, you know, with those slave ships coming over, but we are all, you know, in, in, in so many ways, um, one uh, diaspora and the brutality of slavery that happened in Barbados. I mean, the average, the life, um, the life, um, extent, you know, capacity of uh, enslaved people in Barbados was 18 years old. I mean, it's just uh, to show you how brutal it was. And right next uh, Pinal to the village I grew up uh, was found one of the largest uh, slave burial places uh, in the Americas that they found thus far. I mean, close to 600 souls. And we had no idea because we didn't know that particular history. But looking then um, here at, at the United States and just the the, the raging debate and division that's going on right now, the Rittenhouse trial um, and the verdict, controversial verdict there, the Amman Aubrey trial where people felt, well, at least, you know, there was some um, acknowledgement of, of justice, although it doesn't bring him back. And then Charlottesville, where the, the decision was mixed because the federal charges, the, uh, uh, based on the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, which members of Congress are hoping to use um, in the whole aftermath of, of January 6th and the suit they are bringing, that didn't get through. So, Danielle, just uh, give us your thoughts on this and where you think uh, this is. We'll do that before we go on to you talking about the new information about the assassination of Malcolm X. Dr. Joseph. You know, absolutely. I think the, it's, it's great that you mentioned the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1870 and 1871. So uh, basically what we're seeing, and I've been, you know, I've got a, a book coming out next year called The Third Reconstruction that really places um, this period of 2008 to 2021 in in a larger historical context, because we're really rehearsing um, these events that occurred during the period of Reconstruction right after racial slavery, especially uh, the period between 1865 um, all the way to 1898. But the reason why you had the Klan Acts and the Congress has a federal investigation of the Klan that opens up in May of 1871 in Washington, D.C., is because of really the hundreds and thousands of political murders, uh, including lynchings that are happening um, between elections in 1867 and 1871. And they occur before and after, but those are pivotal periods. And the reason why that violence happened is because of the Reconstruction amendments that were happening. So you had people like Thaddeus Stevens, obviously Frederick Douglass, um, but scores of black women and men who were organizing uh, for not just voting rights, but also for economic rights um, as well. And what, what white folks do is really do protracted, organized violence, and they, they organize under the banner of the Democratic Party, and they organize not just the Klan in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1866 of ex-Confederates, but just different white supremacist groups who call themselves the Doughboys, the Red Shirts. And so when you look at the, the, these, these groups who are calling themselves similar things in Charlottesville and the Unite the Right rally 2017, the white supremacist assault on the Capitol on January 6th, 
we are going through the same things that we went through 150 years ago, and Margaret, including the lies about what occurred in Charlottesville and the lies about what occurred uh, on January 6th. So in real time, in the late 19th century, in 1867, 68, 69, 70, 71, even as black folks and white folks are providing public testimony to the whippings and the beatings and the murders that they've experienced, um, white Democrats and white supremacists are lying about those very same things. And we're seeing the same thing now, except that we're seeing the technological innovations of both neoliberalism and neoconservatism um, in terms of spreading those lies and manufacturing that disinformation. And people should be very, very um, aware and frightened because last time you had this much disinformation, what occurred was uh, the victory of the lost cause. And of course, the lost cause is the lie that Reconstruction was bad and black people weren't ready for citizenship. And it's the lie that allows for white reconciliation between the North and the South and why you get all the Confederate memorials, why you get Gone with the Wind, Birth of a Nation. And it's the same lie why you have Tom Cotton and um, white supremacists in Congress uh, uh, challenging um, the 1619 Project and coming up with their own lie uh, and saying it's it's critical race theory and they're anti-critical race theory, right? So we're really rehearsing these things um, that we sometimes we go back to the civil rights period and the second Reconstruction, but it's really the first one we have to take a really hard, hard look at because this is the period where you had Frederick Douglass, where you had uh, the, the the Anna Julia Coopers and the Ida B. Wells who are trying to uh, build what Du Bois later called abolition democracy. Um, and we're in a new period of abolition democracy with all these grassroots organizations, many led by um, black women who are talking about abolition democracy and the movement for black lives. But paralleling that is this real violence. Um, and the violence of Charlottesville and the violence of January 6th, it's really the tip of the iceberg because the bigger, the bigger violence is going to be the political party, in this case the Republican Party, and the corporations and the corporate power that they're all organizing under, um, uh, and that's going to include law enforcement and military as well. So uh, there, there's a real, real agenda here that continues the agenda of white supremacy that goes back to the 19th century. Um, and in many ways, what the Movement for Black Lives Matter has done is push back against the accommodation that some black people have had with that agenda. Because part of American exceptionalism, when we think about the post-war notion of American exceptionalism, is, is these reconstructionist and these redemptionist tendencies um, mixing in together. And that's how you get Barack Obama. But when you have the reconstructionist and redemptionist uh, agenda together, you're never going to have real justice for the masses of black people, even as you might have individual excellence and black genius recognized. And that's why you see the neoliberalism of the Obamas, because neoliberalism, even as it privatizes um, and, and, and really redistributes wealth from the public to the private sector, it does acknowledge individual excellence. 
And that's how come you get Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan and all that, right? Neoconservatives do the exact opposite, right? They're, they're against any acknowledgement of group difference, right? Um, and they're there to protect groups like the white supremacists who are denying what happened in January 6th. So we're, we're, we're in trouble <laughs> in a lot of ways because so many people don't know this history. You were talking about Barbados and the deep, deep history of Barbados, and it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, and um, Dr. Pinel Joseph, I mean, you talk about abolition of democracy, and you might want to uh, fill our audience a little bit uh, um, briefly on that. But also, people ask me all the time, they say, Margaret, you know, people internationally, we hear so much about the atrocities uh, that are going on, but how, what are people doing about it? How are people uh, resisting? I mean, you, you know, the spread of the stand your ground laws, uh, since Trayvon uh, Martin, as far as I'm concerned, the new forms of lynching. And um, now, uh, you know, we do have to worry that anybody who sees somebody looking like you and I and say, oh, I felt threatened, could just shoot and kill us, you know what I mean? And, 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 and basically get away with it, um, as the, the Kyle Rittenhouse um, verdict certainly sets the stage for that. Um, but in terms of the movement response, on the one hand, you, ta- you, you talked about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement uh, in the U.S., but it's also an international movement. On the one hand, right, with the abolition democracy focus, and then another movement uh, that is happening and growing right now is the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, um, a fusion approach, right, and uh, making reference to uh, the fusion organizing that happened during the period of the first reconstruction of poor white people uh, coming together and and supporting basically uh, black people. And Chairman Fred Hampton tried to do a bit of that in in Chicago with uh, bringing the gangs together and and also some uh, poor white organizing. And and the prisoners, um, the great California uh, prisoners strike uh, hunger strike that went on uh, for so long, you saw a similar coming together. So uh, talk a little bit about those movements and, and any tensions that you see between them. And I know you're a historian, but you, you study these things um, uh, quite deeply. So tell us about uh, any thoughts on that. And then a quick response to the, the uh, news about uh, Malcolm X and his assassination, who was involved, um, Pinyel Joseph. Well, certainly, when we think about abolition democracy, what Du Bois was um, really theorizing was what happened at the, in the aftermath of the Civil War and this idea. It wasn't just abolition of slavery that black women and men wanted. It was really abolition of systems of structural and economic oppression um, that were impacting black people, but also impacting the white working class as well. And that's why Du Bois looks at Reconstruction as an effort uh, to have a class revolution as well as a racial revolution that's stymied because of white supremacy, but also because of racial capitalism. And so the abolition was the abolition of all forms of oppression that then would lead to deep democracy, right? So in a, in a lot of ways, again, especially with the prison abolition movement, with efforts to defund the police, we have a new abolition democracy movement that goes beyond uh, voting rights. Voting rights are important, but it's really beyond that because 
it's not just the vote that's going to get us um, the eradication of these systems of extractive capitalism and and racial capitalism and oppression. Um, in terms of fusionism, you know, fusionism is more complicated than I think sometimes people um, want to believe. You know, late 19th century fusionism, uh, the so-called fusionist tickets at times, um, both Democrats and Republicans, at times whites and black, wasn't really great for black people. It's really more of a ticket where uh, there is so much racial violence that at times black people who are overwhelmed numerically in majority white counties uh, in, in, in certain places like North Carolina, Virginia, other places, they, they, they form these fusionist, fusionist tickets where black people don't even really get their, their demographic uh, representation among uh, the spoils of the political war, but they get something rather than nothing. But it's really not as great as the heyday of the period of 1868 to 1876, where black people, not only were we in Congress, but there's going to be over a thousand elected officials in the deep South, including we're, we're over 60% of the population in 26 of, of the counties in Mississippi, where we are the police force and the judges and the magistrates and the assembly. So we, we have real political power. And that's why so many of us were killed and murdered uh, by just white folks. It's not even just white supremacists. They were all white supremacists in this context, virtually. And so when we think about um, the Poor People's Campaign, I think the Poor People's Campaign and Reverend Barber, it's important, but we, we have to connect that to these movements for abolition in terms of abolition. When people like Angela Davis and Mariam Kaba and so many different activists talk about, yes, defunding the police, and yes, uh, ending systems of punishment. They're, they're, they're saying that in the same tradition of abolition democracy of the 19th century, that they've just ratcheted up and amplified by talking about intersectionalism and these sort of black feminist traditions that make us think more deeply about identity and difference um, in a positive way. So you think about Barbara Smith, Audre Lorde, the Combee River Collective, um, the, the deep sort of radical black tradition and black feminist tradition where we're saying, you know, people with disabilities, people who are queer, uh, people um, uh, who are HIV positive and poor, we have to center them um, in our yeah. struggles, right, instead of just marginalizing them, right? So so women are, are key here in big, big ways. So, you know, I, I think that the thing that we can't forget think about poor people is that even within the black church and the tensions around you know people who hate queer people people who hate trans people we we all know this is right there that the, the big thing is abolition democracy means that we no longer have any scapegoats whether it's externally or internally and that's tough for people you know whether you're haitian yeah. or bayesian we all have scapegoats within our cultures, right? And it's usually somebody who's weaker than us, right? Somebody who's poor. Right. So the abolition democracy tradition that I think we're seeing globally is saying that we're, we're going to have no more scapegoats. And that means pushing back against racial and economic and male privilege. And it means transforming 
um, this economic system that we find ourselves in, which is racial right. capitalism that's extractive. And, and, and Pinyel, we're going to have to have you back to talk about the Malcolm piece very, very soon because we really run out of time. i got to get get out of here in, in like about 30 seconds or so. But just fascinating analysis there. So please join us again soon, uh, Dr. Pinyel Joseph. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.